Welcome to the Housing Matters Podcast, brought to you by the California Association of Realtors and the Center for California Real Estate. Hello, and thank you for joining us for another Housing Matters Podcast. It's your favorite data nerds back with everything you need to know about both the housing market and the economy. My name is Jordan Levine, Chief Economist here at the California Association of Realtors, and joined by my good friend, Oscar Way, your Deputy Chief Economist. Hey, Oscar. Hey, Jordan, how are you? I'm good. Really busy. There's so much happening in the economy, in the housing market right now, and been going all over the state talking about it. And I think this is a timely one because we got to talk about the debt limit, right? And that's going to be one of the items that's kind of very hot as we sit here and record this today. We're in the midst of hopefully getting that wrapped up and then talking just about what that's meant recently for mortgage rates and and kind of where we think things are going to go over the next couple of months. And of course, that obviously has implications for the housing market. So we got to talk about existing sales. We got to talk about construction, new home sales. There's a lot to talk about. Absolutely. There's a lot of implications. There are a lot of moving parts that uh, we are trying to guess what's going on. Terrible time to be a forecaster. I know, I know. But, you know, at the same time, we're getting a lot of information and uh, that's what we're here for. We try to uh, simplify things and maybe explain things to uh, the audience and hopefully uh, make some sense out of it. Yeah, definitely. So let's talk about the debt limit because this has been front page pretty much for the last month or so. It's been kind of a slow moving train wreck, but it does seem like we are potentially within sight of a of a solution there. It seems that way. I think uh, you know it's not a surprise that you know Congress and the government are waiting till you know they're waiting till the very very last time, you know, the very last minute or so. It does look like we uh, over the past weekend uh, there was there there was some agreement uh, in principle. Uh, on the debt limit and uh, early part of the week. Uh, in fact, yesterday, uh, the uh, the uh, house, the, the uh, bill was set up and uh, it went through the house and uh, it went uh, past the house actually. Now the debt limit negotiation actually is going to go to uh, the Senate and maybe to review uh, tonight. Who knows how long it's gonna take, but hopefully it will pass in the next couple of days or so, because otherwise you know, there might be some dire consequences. Yeah, exactly. And and that's the big risk. You know, it's it's looking like they've, again, got that agreement in principle, but we are in the 11th hour. Literally, it's right. as we sit here and record this, it's the 1st of June and the Senate is kicking this over tonight and hopefully they come to some kind of an agreement. But when you look at the projections and, and the kind of economic impacts associated with this, it's not good for the broader economy, you know, when it comes to GDP growth, obviously, and businesses not getting paid, right, and vendors and things like that, as things like debt service gets prioritized over just paying the bills and and things like that, which will then have implications on real people in the form of job losses. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Remember, you know, the debt limit is basically a, a line set by the Congress to say, hey, how much we want to borrow, you know, as the government. And of course, if we actually exceed the debt limit, um, 
in the past, you know, we can just raise it, you know, the government and White House can just raise it. But, you know, if the, the debt limit is set in stone and we don't raise it, it will, re, it will you know, result in a lot of consequences, as you mentioned. People are not going to get paid. And um, potentially, you know, the uh, U.S. government also will be put on a label saying that, hey, this is the government that could default. And right. that could actually lead to high interest rates that could actually affect our housing market. Um, so cost of borrowing could be higher and, uh, and you know, the economy could go down because people don't get paid. And right. you know, recipients like Medicare recipient are not going to get paid. So uh, pretty significant, con significant con consequences, consequences, but typically it's a short default rather than a protracted default. So right. What could possibly be a short default look like if we are go actually going to go into a default? Yeah, so if they don't get the deal done and for whatever reason there's kind of gridlock in the Senate and this doesn't get passed, then there's projections out there. I know Moody's and other folks are out there, you know, the credit rating folks are looking at this very closely. But if it's a couple of weeks, a month or so, you know, it, it could mean a couple of hundred thousand jobs on the inside to maybe as much as half a million. Wow. The kind of protracted scenario, though, gets really ugly because, you know, if you think about kind of what what two to five hundred thousand jobs, which sounds like big numbers, you know, California mm -hmm. on its own lost as many as three million roughly during the pandemic. And so it's still relatively modest from a nationwide standpoint. But once you talk about a, a protracted default that goes on and on where folks really aren't getting paid, then you're looking in in the kind of millions of jobs as high as as eight million or even more I've seen out there in terms of estimates. And that's obviously kind of a, a much different scenario. And I think why it's so important and, and so many folks are are really hoping that this is a done deal. Wow. But at the same time, you know, if you if we look at, of course, different state has different um, different type of um, um, unemployment or effect. Uh, I think, you know, for California specifically, we're looking at, you know, something right now it's at like four percent or five percent right now for mm -hmm. the yeah. uh, for California. Uh, but at the same time, you know, if we actually have that kind of default situation, we're looking at a, a situation where we're uh, going to see maybe about eight or nine percent decline in unemployment rate, right? Right. Yeah. And so there's there's, you know, obviously the structure of the economy is is kind of where things come into play, because obviously the the federal government will be the one that's not paying bills immediately. And so states that are overly reliant or have a larger concentration of federal jobs. Right. And California does have a decent exposure from the standpoint of, you know, uh, federal district courts and things like that. San Francisco and L.A., lots of defense oriented jobs and military bases up and down the state here as as well and and then you know if you're looking at the kind of prolonged um or even actually i think a relatively modest was the estimates that i saw uh in terms of a default then california could lose as many as eight nine hundred thousand jobs and like you said get close to the eight to ten percent range for unemployment so that this again will have real life consequences. I, I want to say something like 12% of the non-farm jobs or federal government or something like that. Um, but, you know, again, that's kind of where where the structure of the economy is is a really big deal. And California does have some, some exposure. The good news is they're still fairly pessimistic that we're looking at some of those prolonged 
default scenarios, right? And I think that the kind of bookmakers out there, it's not a high probability that we're going to be in that worst case scenario. Probably not. I mean, especially since, you know, we are looking more like, you know, we're going to close a deal or the Senate is going to close a deal in maybe about a couple of days or so. And if that's the case, then most likely um, we will actually end up not going into default. And by by looking at, you know, what's going on with the stock market and also uh, when you look at, you know, the mortgage rate movement, it does suggest that we might be actually uh, be able to close that deal uh, before the end of the week or before the supposedly default deadline. Right. Yeah. And that's Oscar's the the master of of key segues because we <laughs> talk about what that means for mortgage rates, right? Because in in the kind of run up to this deal being being negotiated over the weekend, mortgage rates had been rising with, you know, as the risk of potential default rose. I think we had to like March for or excuse me, June 14th or something like that until we officially um, ran out of money and had to or at least start having to kind of burn through um, cash to be able to stay on on track. But but now, as as it looks like a deal is coming into view, it seems like rates have started to go back the other way. A couple of days ago, it was what seven point one four, I think, right. daily. It was pretty. It was pretty bad. I mean, seven point one four. I thought, and and I I am probably the the more optimistic one. Uh, but you have warned us before. You have warned the audience also that hey, we could potentially get back to seven point two five ish or so, and we almost got there. Um, based on the mortgage news daily news daily number, um, from uh, uh, the bottom or recent bottom, like somewhere around six point three or six point four, maybe about uh, a month ago or so. I can't remember the exact yeah. time. Yeah, it's gone about you know eighty ninety basis points just over the course of the last five weeks or so. Yeah, and and uh, uh, in the last two weeks specifically, um, because people were focusing on the fact that P, uh, the government could default, and uh, that actually pushed up the uh, interest rate quite a bit. But in the last couple of days, uh, it looks like uh, since the announcement that there will be a uh, that the deal has uh, reached, it looks like things had actually come down slightly. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, the big question is, at least in terms of mortgage rates, right? What's interesting is if you look at the treasury market, it's kind of moving in the opposite direction. And, and to me, that's the big question is whether those treasury rates, as folks were, you know, you don't want to go out and buy a two-year treasury if you think the government's about to default, obviously. And so that's pushed those rates up or the price down on those. And, and you know, whether those come back down or continue to rise, I think is still the big question and ultimately what really matters for mortgage rates. Because even as rates have come down for mortgages over the last two days or so, the 10 years and the two year actually is still both going up. And so a lot of that's come as spreads came down. I saw Lawrence had a an article about why mortgage rate spreads are so high. And I think they're pricing in an assumption that the longer term treasuries will have to go up because the Fed funds rate is still 5.25%. So for, uh, you know, I think we're below 4% on the 10 year still right now. And so for that to make sense, you either have to think that the Fed's going to start lowering rates soon or, um, you know, that inflation's going to go away 
much quicker, I think, than what we're forecasting. And so, again, that's why I've, you hate to be right, but that's why I've thought 7% mortgage <laughs> rates would probably rear their their ugly heads again. And and why I think even as things go maybe down a bit, as some of the, the default risk goes away, you know, I don't necessarily think we're going to see mortgage rates come down significantly just because, again, I think that the treasury rates ultimately have to make sense in light of of where the Fed funds rate is. So what do you think about all that? Well, in a, I think you're right. At the same time, you know, we have been also saying, okay, well, or, you know, six months ago or a year ago, people have been saying, economists, including us uh, at the same time, that, okay, we possibly could get into a, uh, a recession, right? But, right. you know, the economy has been pretty strong, pretty solid. I shouldn't say strong, pretty solid. And uh, we're still looking at, you know, inflation at a high level and consumers are still spending. And just this morning, if I remember correctly, uh, there's a report about job opening that seems like, you know, it's still pretty positive. Right. Um, so, you know, it does look like that, you know, if we are going to see a recession, it's going to be pushed out a little bit further. And that's the reason why, you know, maybe inflation is not going away very, very soon. Plus the fact that, you know, hey, if, if uh, for us not getting into recessions, that's great. You know, but at the same time, that also means, you know, the Fed may not necessarily low rates for a while. Right. All the more reason why, again, I think the mortgage rates will stay relatively high, even if they've come down from 7, 715 or wherever they were just a couple of uh, days ago. And again, I think it means that and and I've thought the Fed probably did their last rate hike already, and I'm still not totally convinced that they'll do another one in in June. But I think the risk is certainly to the upside, not the downside. I just still I think it means it's even less likely that the Fed starts lowering rates mm -hmm. anytime soon. And so, you know, I guess the other explanation for the low tenure yield is that people think that there's just the economy's never going to grow again and so over the long term inflation will go away and they're not going to be pricing in all this extra inflation and fed funds rate but again you know we're going to be in this kind of prolonged situation where overnight rates are much higher than than 10-year yields and i i just don't think that makes sense and so even if if some of the increase in the 10 year that i that i expect comes at the expense of a spread so it doesn't all transfer through to mortgage rates I, I still think we shouldn't expect mortgage rates themselves to come down significantly over the very near term at the least. Yeah, I think, you know, of course, that, you know, may not be great news for, you know, some of the uh, buyers who wants to get into the market and probably for some sellers. I mean, at the same time, I think you know, it's going to take a little longer. I mean, it's yeah. good for the economy um, that we're not seeing, you know, plummeting uh in terms of demand and things like that but you know there it does come with a cost um and there's a lot of uncertainty out there also you know uh with uh the economy not uh, not slowing down significantly but at the same time it's not going to grow really really fast so i think you know even the fed they're yeah. actually trying to guess you know what's going on yeah but absolutely. but i guess you know the, the next question that i want to ask you is of course you you kind of alluded to it earlier um because they are going into we they, we're going to have another FOMC meeting. The, the Fed are they're going to meet in June in a couple yeah. of weeks. So it wouldn't it, you would you be surprised if they actually raise rates, or actually would you not be surprised if they actually raise rates? 
I would say I don't expect them to raise rates. My expectation is still that they keep it where it's at. The Fed, you know, the the kind of middle of the range is 525, I think, 5.25%. Mm-hmm. And I expect it to stay there. But I wouldn't be totally surprised to see it increased. Honestly, I, I'd be, I would be more surprised if they cut it, right? Yeah, I know. I think, you know, when you look at the numbers, again, the jobs numbers, there's still a lot of job openings. There's still a shortage in the labor market. Wage growth is actually still above the 10-year average that we had coming into this. And I think part most of that is because of this labor more, you know, shortage that's out there. And, and ultimately, I think that at least leaves the window cracked for for a rate increase. Again, that's not what I'm projecting. I'm I'm thinking that we're still in there for just do, them doing nothing and holding firm at 525, but I do think there's more chance that they'll raise it than than lower it and that's why, you know, again, even if they don't, some of this is is kind of that really nerdy treasury market kind of bond market <laughs> stuff that we were talking about before going on and even if they do nothing, um you know, I don't expect a big reduction in mortgage rates. And and the bigger thing, I think, that's really holding back sales, and we can talk a little bit about the housing market, it probably makes sense to, um, but is, is how tight inventory is. Because sales went back down in April, even as rates were pretty decent, you know, at one point there in, in March, and everybody flooded into treasuries after Silicon Valley Bank and all of that stuff. We had a 280,000 unit pace in March, and it went down to a little bit less than 270 in April, even with a little bit better rates. Yeah, I think, you know, the volatility in uh, terms of rates, you know, of course, have an effect on, you know, sales, but you said it, you nailed it on it, you know, that the supply side, you know, is very, very uh, tight, you know, for the, um, for the inventory that we have been seeing um, in existing housing stocks, uh, we have been saying that um, maybe active listings overall looks okay, but at the same time, you know, new active listings, when we look at, you know, how it fluctuates compared to last year and so on and so forth, I continue to decline. And I, I was a little surprised at first that, you know, we were not able to maintain for the April sales at a similar level, like 280 or 275 or so. Uh, yeah. But I, I uh, but I'm not completely surprised that it actually dropped below 270 at, you know, with a drop of um, close to 5% compared to a month ago because of, you know, what we just discussed. But the other part of it also is, of course, what, as we move into the, uh, the seasonal uh, uh, buying, home buying season, uh, we typically see a little bit higher end uh, price in terms of median price just because of right. more high-end home being high sold yeah. and also higher demand. So with that price being a little higher, uh, that may have a little bit of uh, 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 impact on uh, sales overall. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, the good news is we're still up from the pit that we hit last winter, right? In November and December, we were down below, I think, 240 in the 200,000 right. range or somewhere in there. And and even though sales are still down, 
across every region on a year-to-year basis, we're still kind of at least hovering in that 270 to 280,000 range. And, and I still feel fairly confident that the worst is behind us, at least in terms of overall transaction volume. To me, the bigger part is, is how long the recovery, uh, to the extent that there will be one, takes because we were running about a 500,000 unit pace there for a few months. And I think getting back to that level is going to be really challenging. And, and even though, you know, rising rates have not completely wiped out home buyer demand, there's still people out there that are employed and qualified to purchase even at a six and a half or 7% um, mortgage rate, buyer demand is softer than it was when we were down at 3%. A lot more people um, could qualify at that at that level. And so I do think that we've got to expect for, you know, not just the inventory reasons, but the buyer demand side as well for for the level of sales to maintain this kind of tepid pace, even if we don't see the bottom fallout. But I think it's it's you can't really overstate the impact of tight inventory. And I think you see that when you look at prices, right? Because mm-hmm. prices were down on a year-to-year basis, but prices are actually going up. And that's masked by this kind of snapshot of this year versus last year. If you look at what's been happening the last couple of months, prices are actually going back up. Yeah, it's back up to over 800,000. And there are some other indicators, competitive indicators that suggest the same thing too. For example, you know, days on market, it's shorter on, you know, uh, properties are staying on the market for a shorter period of time. And the other one is the uh, um, uh, sold price above asking price. Uh-huh. It's almost back to like 50% from uh, a recent bottom of maybe about 26, 27% over yeah. asking price. Now it's getting back up to closer to 50. Um, and the peak was 75. And I, I assume, you know, it will continue to climb in the next couple months or so for that figure. Right. And I think that tells you everything you need to know about what's driving the market right now. It's not a lack of buyers at these higher rates. You wouldn't see half the market closing above list last week if there wasn't, you know, buyers out there for the homes. The, the fact of the matter is, I think that, and as you said, 815000 as the current median price last mm-hmm. month. Um, it's not that, you know, all time high of over 900 that we hit last year, but it's actually much higher than we were at the end of last year, right? And so I think that that kind of you just you can see how supply driven the current environment is because we're we're just seeing the market get increasingly competitive as we get closer and closer to the summer. And and you know even as you see the kind of unsold inventory index inched up a little bit, we're still in the kind of two and a half months of supply range right now and mm-hmm. and for folks who think that it's 2008 all over again we we were at almost 18 weeks <laughs> of supply back then and i just don't see any of the ingredients i mean you can just look at the mls we're just not getting the homes listed on there um that we were when there was a lot of short sales and foreclosures and of course the fundamentals are much much better and 98 percent of all of our mortgages are being paid on time and right. so it's In some ways, it's kind of scary because you don't see a a short run solution for this. Yeah. I mean, of course, uh, you know, we can build more homes. 
Um, sure. And I think we're seeing, you know, builders building more homes. And this might actually be, this is a good segue into looking at, you know, the new home sales, because when you look at, you know, we have been saying in the existing housing stock market, you know, the reason why we are not seeing more sales is because we are, we don't have enough inventory. And right. you just need to take a look at the new home sales market. Now, they're building a little bit more. And yep. the inventory level, uh, uh, they're not at two and a half months. They're, in fact, at around seven months of inventory at the national level. Now, I just right. want to be clear. At the national level, there's seven months. And we have been seeing home new home sales actually increasing for the second month in a row. So there's appetite and there's demand out there um, if you actually have supply. Right. Yeah, exactly. And and we know that this is, again, one of those econ 101 um, problems, but we're getting close to three quarters of a million uh, home sales, and and that's kind of moving in the right direction. Inventory is up, and sales are are up, and so there's definitely that underlying um, demand. I think builders also are are in you know a position to potentially help folks with you know combat higher rates and things like that with concessions or what have you. Um, you know, unfortunately, California and and the West region in general isn't necessarily the one that's right. leading the charge in terms of being able to take advantage of these trends, right? Because we're not uh, the ones doing the building. And, and as a result, you're not really seeing that same boost in the West that that they're seeing in other parts of the nation. That's true. We're almost down 10% on a month-to-month basis in, in April, you know, we meaning the West region. And that's because of some of the restrictions. And of course, there might be some higher cost, you know, in the West region than some of the other regions. Um, and of course, I think uh, the uh, tight supply plays a role. Affordability obviously plays a role too. I mean, don't take me wrong. With high interest rates, obviously, it's tougher to buy a house. Yeah. Um, but of course, at the national level, with a lower price, uh, we are seeing some increase in new home sales because of you know the availability and housing supply in some of the other regions. Um, and uh, buyer uh, builders are trying their best, you know, to uh, try to get you know, more buyers in maybe to lower uh to to uh you know increase their incentive such yeah. as uh what lowering the interest rates to make me uh maybe uh help buyers a little bit yeah. but they also are seeing some increase in demand in their areas and so i think buyers or builders are actually the builders incentives are actually becoming less and less common as we move more closer or uh, deeper into yeah. the home buying season yeah. And it's really interesting because I've kind of been saying that about existing sales and telling our members, you know, that that, you know, the, you have all these buyers out there that are waiting to get the better price and all of this stuff and kind of waiting to time the market and perfectly hit bottom. And I kind of felt like we all, you know, those buyers who are waiting on the sidelines probably already uh, missed the bottom. And you see that somewhat when you look at the new home sales, right? Because they're giving concessions, but they're seeing demand stabilize and, and the concessions are still uh, are starting to kind of pare back. And, and so, again, I think that's important because we're also in an environment where rates rose to 7%. I mean, prices in California for resale have been rising for three, four months in a row. And we've seen rates go from low sixes to low sevens. I know they've come down the last couple of days, but you know, again, for those buyers who think they're going to wait around and save a bunch of money and have even better rates and things like that, I think you know, when you look at this data, it suggests that the bottom um, may you know already have been um, behind us, and and I think 
it's it's over the long term, right? Prices in California can only ever go one way. And so I, I've been advising folks to start thinking long term because again, we're at 815,000 after dropping into the 780 or whatever range earlier in the year. So, and, and inventory is only getting tighter. So, yeah. And, and it's, I think, uh, it may take some time, you know, for some of the buyers to realize, hey, maybe the norm is really not three percent interest rates, you know, four yeah. percent. You know, maybe we could set, should settle at five or six. I mean, obviously, I understand. You know, there seven is actually high for a lot of people because you know, if you don't have the money, you don't have the money. But I think there are, you know, possibility that you know, as we move down to maybe six and a half. Um, you know, there is a you, you have to really look at okay, whether it is the right time to get in, um, because otherwise you're not going to have, you know, the house available to buy. Um, right. There's not enough supply. And of course, if there's financially, if, uh, if a buyer is financially capable um, and find some new home, go for it. I mean, we said it before, you know, you can always refinance uh, if uh, rates actually start coming back down. True. Yeah. So, and yeah, exactly. You, you marry the house, you find a house you like, and you can afford the payment on. And, you know, if rates go down in the future and you get an even better mortgage, then that's all the the better, but at least you're accumulating that home equity over the near term. What about looking forward? Is there any kind of relief in sight when you read the headlines that's celebrating all of this new residential construction how much of that or new construction i guess in general because we had three months in a row where construction spending um is rising how much of that is housing and and how much can we rely on a rapid recovery of of new building because it seems like to me there's still a lot of headwinds there before we can really hit our stride and get new units going for myriad reasons yeah, I mean, of course, uh, when we talk about new homes, uh, just keep in mind, though, that new homes still only makes up maybe about 5%, 10% of all sales. So you can right. see you know, how how much new home they can build. But, you know, there's some encouraging news uh, at the national level, again, that, you know, we're seeing, you know, uh, the increase in uh, construction spending, which suggests that there uh, are we are seeing some more buildings and um, the uh, in the construction area. But the thing is, of course, many of those constructions they're being you know focused on in the multifamily uh, sector, maybe right because of that you know remember last year, uh, maybe even now we still have a somewhat tight. Uh, uh, environment and the multifamily because people cannot afford to buy they turn to you know uh, rental Rent properties yeah. so there's a little bit more of that and of course we have some non-residential properties being built also um, we do have some improvement uh, I wouldn't necessarily say you know you know significant positive growth but some improvement maybe in single family but you know that is actually not a uh, significant improvement keep in mind of course um, compared to a year two years ago uh, when building materials uh, cost was really high. And of course, remember the uh, cost of building in terms of labor costs also have been high. We had some labor constraint uh, yeah. in the construction industry. Things have improved compared to a year ago or so, but still, uh, we're still looking at a um, the residential only increasing maybe about 0.4% uh, compared to um, you know, the month ago. And it's still about you know nine percent compared nine percent below last year's level, so yeah. slight improvement, but it's nothing that we can we should get overexcited. 
Yeah. And so we're not going to get that immediate relief, I guess, is the bottom line. And even as, you know, material costs and things like that have come down, there's still a lot of challenges just getting workers. Right. And I think there's still right. a, you know, like many other industries, construction has been kind of ground zero in terms of labor shortages. And that, you know, just translates into higher costs and less viability of the individual projects and things like that. So, you know, again, it's nice to see these numbers moving in the right direction overall, but a big chunk of this is multifamily um, and or non-residential and ultimately the gains aren't that impressive um, regardless. And so it's, it's ultimately, I think, going to remain a relatively tough environment and it's kind of back to the same old talking points that we had before the pandemic where supply is tight and it's constraining home sales, but you still have uh, buyers out there, even with six and a half to seven percent rates. Um, so, you know, I just would love to see more listings come online. I know there's capital gains relief potentially uh, being discussed in Washington, D.C. There's obviously Prop 19 that helps folks take yeah. their property tax with them when they move. And actually on our website, we've got a great new um, portability. That's right calculator that you can go check out and play with. We'll have to do a tutorial on that uh, at some point, but I think it's going to be all about drumming up those listings. And that is going to be the recipe for success to unlocking more closed transactions. But of course, as the Fed meets and as we get new economic data, Oscar and I will definitely be back with you to uh, give you all of the updates and let it let everybody know what it means for us in in real estate, what it means for our buyers and sellers out there, um, and and kind of what the ongoing recipe for success will be. Oscar, did we cover everything that we needed to with all of these kind of turbulent releases that have come out recently? I think we covered pretty much everything. I mean, each time we talk about something a little different. Last time we talked a little bit about the commercial stuff a little bit, right? Sure. And we also mentioned, covered, I think last time we also covered something about, you know, what happened with, you know, some of the banking sectors. Uh, one quick note regarding, you know, the banking sector volatility that we, we, we saw a few weeks ago. Now, we it seemed like it's kind of over, but remember, you know, when you, whenever you have some kind of banking sector volatility, that also means tightening in the lending standards. So that could be something that we should pay attention to as well uh, when it comes to you know what hap what could happen in the next few months or so, because tight lending standards uh, could be a, a, an issue for both the uh, uh, the uh, residential sector as well as the non-residential sectors. Yeah, no, and that's one of the flip sides of the kind of higher rate environment is that, you know, capital is just not flowing as easily all around and that's impacting banks and it will affect ultimately the broader economy. So I'm glad you brought that up. And as we learn more, we will make sure that you do too. Um, but until then, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you on the next one. Right. See ya.